Hey, game friends, GM John here. Holiday Havoc, Here Comes Santa's Claus, is a raucous and weird interdimensional romp and may contain some concepts, language, and scenes that are confusing, disturbing, or offensive to some listeners. With that in mind, listener discretion is advised. If you haven't listened to our first Holiday Havoc special, Hostage for the Holidays, we'd recommend you go listen to that first, as this series is a direct continuation of the story and includes characters and references you won't understand otherwise. You can find the whole series wherever you're listening to this episode. The Holiday Havoc series uses the Palladium Megaversal role-playing system and the Heroes Unlimited 2nd Edition book, as well as other Palladium books products. If you'd like to find out more about Palladium's megaverse of exciting and genre-bending role-playing games, you can find more at www.palladiumbooks.com or find their products wherever fine tabletop role-playing games are sold. With that said, buckle up and enjoy the show-ho-ho! in the afternoon on September 6, 2021, in Burbank, California, in the back room of a Starbucks, which is not technically the back room of a Starbucks, but rather a little hidey hole spot oft used by the criminal underground to have illicit dealings in a place that has a great amount of shielding from any type of recording devices. Santana, this is where Eddie has set you up to conduct some interviews. How are you dressed for the sunny California weather today? I think she would still be wearing the 50s kind of outfit. So it'd probably be like a red 50s housewife style dress with the red pumps and red lipstick. Her white hair now would be up in like the 50 curls, like a 50 updo and her beard would be braided and probably like maybe just, I don't know how big that is. Four inches, like a couple inches. That's not four inches. That's what a man will tell you four inches is. I'm pretty sure that's close. You don't know what an inch is. That's it's about true. Two. This section of your thumb is about an inch. So I have long thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She has a beard and it's braided. <laughs> I should have looked at beards. I didn't, though. I'm sorry. I did not do my research into beards. That's all right. None of us did a great deal of research for any of this, so it's okay. Of note, she would probably also have her bag with her. I imagine she has it as a backpack kind of thing so that she doesn't have to shove it down her shirt all the time like she did before. Okay. Yeah, she's got like a strap on it. Yeah, she's got a strap on it. And she would also have her lead sled dog with her or her lead sleigh dog because sleighs and sleds are different. Her lead dog is Rosie. That would be the pit bull that was also leading when she went to go visit Eddie. Well, so far today, the interviews that Eddie has lined up for potential replacements for Railgun as the Claws have not really gone great thus far. Your first interview was a man known as Seamus Tannehill, the mercenary with uncanny aim, the ace of spades. He was very cocky, very arrogant. And he also informed you that his team had been sent on a mission to intercept you when Railgun had kidnapped you in the first place. 
The only thing that had prevented him from doing so was the fact that one of his associates ended up getting caught in the country of Austria. <laughs> yeah, that would be a, probably a pass for Santana. It sounds like he has some unsavory friends and I don't think she'd be convinced he'd be in it for the long haul. Well, and he basically indicates as much. Yeah, I don't think he'd have been a pass. Yeah. Your second interview was not that great either. He actually came in dressed in just a flannel shirt over a t-shirt and a pair of shorts. He was an older gentleman, looked a little bit, the word would be probably ragged. He seemed really depressed. He was the superhero formerly known as Beachcomber. He had then been a liaison with the Florida State Metahuman Department. But he was replaced and discharged from his position after the Mike the Bike slash Carantula incident. I know what that incident is <laughs> myself, but Santana, I don't think would have looked into it, thankfully for her. Yeah, it's definitely good that she didn't. He has very useful powers that allow him to teleport virtually anywhere, but you're pretty certain he's drunk when he shows up. And his powers are sand based, right? Yeah. Which is great, but... If there's sand on the North Pole, it is under a lot of snow and ice. So that may not be terribly useful where I live, because if I am being teleported by somebody or moving with somebody, I don't want to have to dig my way up through like six feet of snow. I don't think he'll be on my list. I also can't imagine spending the amount of time I'm going to have to spend with my claws with somebody who's drunk a lot. As you're waiting for the third interviewee to show up, Eddie gives you a call just to check up on you on your newly replaced cell phone that you got. Hey, Eddie. Hey there. How's it going, Santana? Not great. The first two people weren't so good. I'm waiting on uh, this Martina Valentine girl. Oh, well, she's a sweetheart. She's actually really, really good at what she does. I guarantee you she's not going to cause nearly as many problems as those others two did. Honestly, Teddy, I was just looking to give him a job at this point. He's kind of going through some problems right now. I didn't think he'd be a real good fit for you, but I had to give him the chance. Maybe we can find something he can do, but I don't think the clause is necessarily the right one. But yeah, I mean, at this point, I think the best thing that he can do is probably check into rehab. I don't think that's a great Christmas gift, but if he's willing to do it, we got the funds to send him. Martina, you have reached the Starbucks that you were indicated was the place where you were going to be conducting this interview. And after speaking to an employee, you're motioned towards a back room that you've noticed most Starbucks don't tend to have. I go ahead and head that way. So Martina's just in like a simple black pantsuit. It's definitely not fancy or even off name brand, but it's clean. And she has a gray flight jacket over her arm. She's not wearing it, just holding it. She's, I guess, kind of average height for a woman. She's about five, six, little on the stocky side, but definitely muscle underneath that. She has a tendency to walk as though she's afraid she's going to hurt someone. So very carefully and maybe slower than you might anticipate. She's got kind of a dusty skin, kind of ambiguous as far as ethnicity goes. Black hair and brown eyes. So when Santana sees you entering, I think not many people are coming back here that would be dressed for a job interview. So she's going to wrap up with Eddie and be like, I think she's here, Eddie. I'll call you back afterwards and let you know how it goes. All right. Good luck on that one. And he hangs up. So she'll hang up on him and stand to greet you. She's taller than you, especially in her heels. She's 5'8 now. <laughs> so with her heels on, she's probably like closer to six feet. So yeah, very tall. She also would be very statuesque. 
She's soft, but not like Mrs. Claus soft. She's not like matronly soft. I think it's the soft. You know how like some people you're like, you could either be like a Viking or a farmer. And I don't know which it is, but yeah, that kind of like where it's soft, but you don't know if there's muscle underneath. So that's kind of what her build is. And she's going to reach out her hand and be like, Martina Valentine. Yeah. Hi, Eddie uh, sent me. Yeah, he said great things about you. She's going to motion to the table and motion for Rosie to stay in place and take a seat. Martina will go ahead and sit and she kind of notices your style of dress and just lifts an eyebrow. <laughs> Don't often see people in 50s. <laughs> Attire with a beard. Yeah, a little unusual. Santana's not going to comment on that. She's just going to say, so Martina, why don't you tell me about yourself? Okay, so just straight shooting. I'm from Texas, Century Station. Haven't been there for about five years now. That's, well, I I was going to say that's where my family is, but I guess they're not technically my family anymore. Um, Okay, sorry, rambling. Okay, I majored in medical and journalistic investigation. I, should I tell you my special abilities? Santana's going to glance around. They're pretty alone back here, right? Oh, yeah. There's nobody else that's going to bother them at the moment. Okay. That's one of the reasons that this place is maintained by whoever happens to own it, which really difficult to tell based on the paperwork. You should be safe to talk here. There's no surveillance or anything. <laughs> Let's just say through a series of unfortunate life choices at the time, I've gone through some experimentation and I can turn into plasma. I don't want to demonstrate if that's all well with you. I'm trying not to unless I really, really need to. It's not exactly the safest thing in the world. I can hear. Sometimes it feels like everything. She pauses for a minute and kind of lifts her eyes to the ceiling and says, for instance, someone right now is ordering a soy milk latte with extra almond. Do they even put almonds in latte? Santana shrugged. <laughs> like, I like cappuccinos. We are not, by the way, sponsored by Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) I can bend light and she goes ahead and does a small demonstration of that where she just kind of pulls the light from, I assume we just have kind of like an overhead light. Yeah. um, And she just kind of separates it out into a little rainbow. Oh, Santana seems delighted by that. (laughs) That's really cool. So, yeah, basically, Eddie told me that you needed someone to defend you. And I'm good at that. I'm also a good shot if that's ever an issue. She kind of glances down at her leg. She has an ankle holster, not that you can see it, of course, because that's the whole point is keep it hidden. So Santana, above all else, is a pretty honest person. And I think at this point she's going to go, I'm going to have to be very honest with you, Martina. The job's pretty dangerous. There are a lot of forces natural and supernatural that would very much like to have what I have or to have me. And so the job would be long-term as in lifelong. The assumption of this role is if, if something is dangerous enough to take you out, obviously it's dangerous enough to take me out. So I guess it would be a lifelong job. You would be expected to be away from your family and friends. There's only really one day a year that we would be able to visit anybody that you wanted to stay in contact with. In return, though, you would have everything taken care of, anything that you could want. You would have access to anything, material goods, of course, that would make you happy. You would be in a very loving and close-knit community where you would be considered to be very important. And you would be doing good for the world. Quite literally, it would be affecting everything. 
I know that's a lot to take in and a lot of a commitment to make. So certainly wouldn't want to force you into it or push you into anything. But knowing that that's some of what the job entails or comes with, would you still be interested? First, I completely appreciate you telling me all of this. (laughs) I don't have any family or friends anymore, so that's really not an issue for me. Santa's heart is just like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Santa's like, I don't care if you want the job. You need to come to the North Pole and be a part of my new fan family. (laughs) I mean, technically, they're still alive, but I'm cut off from my family. I haven't talked to them in six years. So that's not an issue for me at all. I think as part of the pre-screening process, Santana would have checked the naughty list to see about her and her family. Is her family on the naughty or nice list? Well, most of her relatives are naughty. Oh. She is nice. So Santana's going to be like, family can be a difficult thing and we are not who we come from. Martina's going to kind of nod and appreciate that and... If they did want to be a part of your life, do you think that's something you would want to pursue? They'd have to have an entirely personality transplant for that to happen. So I'm not exactly worried about that happening ever. (laughs) Um, I I don't know if you've heard of Maxwell Valentine. Has Santana heard of Maxwell Valentine? Yeah, you would know of Maxwell Valentine. He is a very, very wealthy and influential man. Owns many, many, many different companies, but specifically medical and genetic sciences and other areas like that are his particular interests. I think her eyes would narrow slightly because there's not a lot of people in that tax bracket that are on the nice list. Well, that's my uncle. He's partially why my family is the way they are, but it didn't start with him. It's not going to end with him. Honestly, the idea of being able to go north long term is kind of perfect for me. <laughs> Just to be flat, I've hurt people with my power as part of my job at the time, but it's not something that I am proud of. <sighs> I feel like I'm saying this all wrong. There's a place for violence, and I know that probably sounds super weird, but there is, but not the way that I was being used. I'm a little vulnerable to the cold, and that can help me to control my power a little better. Okay, so Eddie told you it would be in a very cold and snowy location. Yeah, I figured like, Canada or something? A little further north than that. But yeah, that's basically the idea. It's a little bit more remote. Santana's actually feeling pretty hopeful about this. Like, so she's like, I think I can uh, lay things all out on the table and maybe be a little bit more upfront with you than I have with some of the other interviewees. So the role you would be taking on would be that of the Claws of Winter, which is, I think Santana genuinely, like, how do you explain you're going to be a holiday? (laughs) From everything that it sounds like so far, I would assume that she thinks she's joining some kind of weird cult. (laughs) It's kind of hard to explain, but there are certain concepts in this world that have avatars. And I am an avatar of one of those concepts, and you would be accepting the role of another one of those avatars. You would be what is known as the Claws of Winter, and I would be what is technically the light and the darkness. But for the rest of the world right now, I go by Santa Claus. Hold on. You're the living embodiment of light or Santa Claus? Yes. How does that even work? Really convoluted and mysteriously from everything I've been led to believe, but 
basic gist is if you imagine like primeval man didn't have Santa and they didn't have Christmas, but what they did have was cold, dark, stormy nights where you needed shelter and fire and food. And that sense of giving that we had, that when you saw a figure coming to your fire, you invited them in and gave them food. That became like a a concept that eventually solidified into a person who would go out and start fires and have food on cold nights to provide a place for someone. And over time, that's evolved and been consumed by different religions and different societies. And the basic concept of being that light in the darkness and being that warm, hospitable place now is Christmas, but it wasn't always. And when you have something that's light and giving and hospitality, there's a lot of things that want to take advantage of it. And so at some point in that transition, the claws of winter showed up, which now everybody has kind of bastardized into Mrs. Claus, but it wasn't that to begin with. It was a protector of that light. And that's what you would be doing. There's a lot of forces that want to get rid of what I am. Some because they don't like Santa. There's a couple of greedy people who would love to be able to control what Santa does, specifically, you know, production. There are others who just really would like humanity not to have that hospitality and that light. And those two things are at this point tied together. Those that thrive in the darkness don't necessarily welcome the light. Exactly. Or maybe if you can take away someone's hope, there's a lot more you can do to them. So I know like conceptually, that's a big thing. In practicality, what that means is fighting things a lot when they try and and attack. So far, it hasn't been so bad. I haven't had a clause. So my dark side normally is able to take care of things like the Yeti incursion that just happened. There was the whole issue with the snow sprites, but those are usually just smaller things and a show of force is usually enough. But every once in a while, from what I understand, you can have big things. I know in a past incarnation of what the clause was, there was like a big werewolf war. Santana feels a little lost because it's hard to explain what you experience in the Santa Force. I just imagine Martina's face is as polite as she can keep it, but also very concerned. (laughs) If she didn't have the personal experience she has with getting the power that she now has, she would probably be running from the room. But because of her experience, she is willing to accept the existence of this. So Santana has this feeling that if Martina is meant to be Claus, maybe the Santa power is going to help her. So I think she's going to try and reach into her bag and see if maybe she has a gift that would help convince her or make her feel more confident or want to not run for the hills. Because I think Santana can kind of see it in your eyes. (laughs) As you reach into your bag, Santana, you do feel an object inside. It's not a baseball bat, is it? It's not a baseball bat. No. Okay. She uh, pulls it out. Is it a gift? It is a gift. And it says to Martina from Santa. She hands it to you. Okay. She goes ahead and opens it. You open it up and inside it's a whole box of 38 bullets. Uh Uh-oh. But these aren't just like factory stock bullets. You can tell immediately that these have been modified. These look like liquid tipped. And as you're finishing unwrapping it, you hear Rosie start growling in a low tone as she looks towards the door. Titana's going to say in a very calm voice, you may want to load your guns. Okay. There is a massive sound of what seems like an explosion coming from inside of the Starbucks itself. 
and the door is ripped off of its hinges and goes flying into what looks like a massive distortion in space-time, right in the middle of the Starbucks that is rapidly pulling everything inside of it. Santana's gonna shout, Rosie, go to the safe place! And try and get Rosie out of there, because I think there's probably some spot that an elf is waiting at to take Santana home after the interview, and is wants the Rosie to go there. Rosie scrabbles from out of the room, but as she's running, you see her get lifted up by the force that's starting to pull from this weird portal. Rosie gets yanked through the portal as she flies through the air. Santana's going to shout, Rosie, and jump after her. Okay. <laughs> Martina's going to grab your arm to try to stop you from jumping. Martina, as you grab on, you realize something that you hadn't noticed before. That thickness, it's all farmer, baby. She's got muscle for days. And as she's jumping, she drags you along with her as all three of you are pulled inside of the portal. Oh, no. (laughs) It got so bad when I gave away special bullets before. As the two of you are sucked violently through the air towards this portal and then pulled within it, everything feels like it's becoming distorted. Both of your bodies feel like they lengthen out forever. And then the two of you black out. Martina, you are the first one to hear it. Naturally, given your (laughs) heightened sense of hearing, it's almost like a pounding for you. You hear a scratching on a door, and you also hear a strange series of yips, barks, and other dog noises that almost sound like they're being spoken as a language. You realize that you are on a massive bed in a theme that very strongly resembles Holly, like Christmas time. And you see Santana starting to wake up on a bed that is made out of oak and similarly Christmas themed. The two of you are in a room that is very similar to the one the interview had been conducted in, but it seems like a bedroom now instead of an interview room. Am I waking up? You are. Where's Rosie? Rosie is scratching at the door currently. Is she in the room with us? She is. I'm going to investigate the room, like kind of look around, see if there's anything else. And obviously, I also have my gun in my hand. Martina, are you okay? Physically fine. Do you know where we are? No. Santana's going to go check on her dog. Rosie is at the door to this room that you find yourselves in now and just starting to scratch furiously at it. She seems very agitated. Is she the one barking like it's a language? No. And you can hear it very, very faintly through the door. Martina can hear the whole thing bright as day. And Martina, you also hear, just hang on for a second. I'm getting lubed up. I need to get in my outfit. Where's my bodies? We're not the only ones here. Can I see any X's or checks? You do. The entire place, the, which it appears that you are still in the Starbucks based on the layout that you see with your eyes, where the bathrooms are, there are two figures that you recognize almost immediately. It's Hermanoidus and Abominable Corny. Oh, it's okay. It's my friends. The sex doctor and the abominable guys here. And the number of X's <laughs> in the main area of the Starbucks is 11 plus one that you don't recognize, but is also green checkmark. Oh, what do I recognize them as? They're your dogs. They brought the dogs and someone else. Are they saying anything? You can hear well, right? Yeah. One said something about getting into an outfit. That'd be probably the sex doctor. Hermanoidus. Hermanoidus is a name? Yeah, he's the abominable. 
No, the like abominable, the abominable, is abominable snowman. Corny. Wait, what was abominable's name? Abominable corny. Abominable corny. Yeah, Hermanoidus is the sex doctor, and abominable corny is uh, an abominable snowman, which is different than a yeti. Abominable yeah. snowman, are real. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, they're a little bit different from the yeti. Abominable corny is a pretty good though. You're saying they're definitely your friends out there. Yes, but I can see. As Santa, I have the capability to see good and bad, naughty or nice, one might say. And with that, like I can sometimes recognize people. Martina's going to move to the door and gently push Rosie aside and say, let me go first. As you open up the door, you can see out through the hallway that leads to this little room is also the hallway that goes to the bathrooms, which Abominable Cormie is coming out of the bathrooms and she appears very upset. And you can see Hermanoidus in his little gimp suit following right behind her and trying to calm her down. In the main area of the Starbucks, there's no patrons, there's no employees, just 11 of your dogs, which is obviously what Rosie was straining to get to, and a very large alien creature with a big conical head orange-yellow skin, and a series of flowing robes that cover most of its body that is making the yipping, barking, and other dog noises to your dogs. Your dogs appear to love this figure. Okay, so Santana's going to be like, Dr. Hermanoidus, what's going on? Your guess is as good as mine. We just ended up waking up, and she's really upset. She doesn't have her pillow buddy with her anymore, and she's freaking out right now. Can I see if I can get a pillow buddy from my bag for my good friend? As you reach into the bag, you actually pull out her pillow buddy. Here, Bonewell Cormie, it's okay. I got your friend for you. She freaks out and wraps you up in a big old hug and swings you around. And then she takes the pillow buddy and hugs that. Okay, so that crisis averted. I think Santana's going to move towards the alien and be like, Hi, I'm Santana. Do you know what's going on? They hold one finger, big, long, yellowish-orange digit up to you for a moment as they turn back to the dogs and go, bark, yip, yip, woof, bark. And all the dogs get very excited and run back towards you. And the figure walks very, very nimbly towards the two of you and says, greetings, my name is Parplon. I will be your translator for the event. What event? The Dinja Hakir. Nice, Parplon. Um... Do you explain what the Dinjin Harner is? I need you really quickly to give me a Santa Force check, Santana. Okay. I got an 86 out of 80. Oh, no. So as you're trying to search the Santa Force for memories of this event, you get a brief glimpse of your incarnation that had the beautiful flowing blonde beard and the massive bear that was her claws. And you can see the two of them preparing to fight werewolves before the vision just fades. Do we have to fight something? Or Martina, when I access the Santa Force, don't my eyes go a different color? Yeah, they do. They, they go alternating red and green colors. I bet that looked normal. <laughs> not creepy at all. You know what? She's probably seen weirder. <laughs> yeah, but not today. No, not today. Probably not for most of her life. <laughs> we sucked through portals and talking to an alien that talks to dogs. No, yeah, we're good. Also, Dr. Hermanoidus is an elf, so he doesn't look like a pupil. <laughs> yeah, and he's wearing a latex gimp suit, so. Yeah. Oh, goodness. You do not recall. That is surprising. However, the normal lottery has determined that it is time for your required participation in the Dehinchahawk air. 
It is an ancient tournament that governs the continued cosmological existence of various holidays and rituals. Did you just say we're going into a holiday throwdown? He cocks his conical head for a moment and says, I suppose that would be appropriate, but combat is not necessarily an aspect of all the events that will be taking place. Could you tell us about what events will take place? Certainly. It is a four-day tournament. The first bracket will be issued shortly. You have not, as of yet, been assigned to a bracket, but we do have, as always, 16 participating holidays and or rituals. What happens if we lose? It depends on what portion of the tournament you happen to lose in. You don't want to go out first thing. I can assure you of that. Do you explain at each tier what happens? I certainly can. It will be a little bit convoluted, though, so I hope you are prepared to relax. Would you like to grab one of these snacks from your localized food station? Yes. Are we going to have to survive on Starbucks for the next (laughs) Oh, fun. Yeah. The dogs are not going to be okay. (laughs) Well, appropriate food will be provided for your steeds as well. Okay. Otherwise, I was probably going to be able to pull it out, hopefully, out of my Santa bag. Like, to the dogs from Santa. I'm going to grab a lemon cake. We are not sponsored by Starbucks. Why did you do this? (laughs) Because I'm a monster. Thank you. (laughs) I grab a lemon pound cake, and I'm going to take a seat and be like, all right. Once Martina's ready, we're ready to listen. Martina's grabbing a chocolate croissant and a giant, giant black coffee. Oh, yeah. You notice, by the way, in the machine where the coffee comes from, there's no need to prepare anything. It's kind of like a hamster house for you guys at this point. You notice, like, it looks like the Starbucks, but you realize it's a Starbucks as if, like, a 10-year-old thought about what it would be like to live inside of a Starbucks. Okay. Like, you put stuff in the sink when it's dirty, and it just disappears after a while. I apologize that this is happening. Um, (laughs) Most interesting job interview I've ever had, and that's saying something even for me. We'll uh, we'll consider this a working interview and definitely compensate you for it. This seems to be normal for Santa, but you haven't agreed to be a part of this world, so. It's fine. Let's just find out what this tournament is. Okay, so we go and sit and wait for the alien to tell us. Harplon looks very pleased with you just the entire time while they're sitting and waiting for you to get things ready. And as you sit yourselves down, they say, Now, the Dinja Haker is technically a two-tier tournament. The first day is the most important day to win your match on. Okay, why? Well, if you do not win your match on the first day, you are then sent to what is known as the Redemption Tier. It is a second chance to compete for the final prize of the Dinja Haker. And if you lose that? The first two contestants to lose the redemption tier of the tournament are eradicated from existence and replaced by a different holiday and or ritual that fulfills the same functions. Eradicated like no more Christmas, no more light in the darkness? Does that also mean like no more me? It is entirely dependent upon the outcome of the events and the decision of the judges. Who judges? Every year, Lord Cloncrift, great and magnificent, is the main judge of the tournament, as this entire tournament takes place in his tournament arena. This year, he is joined by Thraxis, as well as the Baba Yaga. They are also this year's event announcers. You said there were two tiers. The first day is the most important to win in the match? That is correct. That will ensure that you go on towards the champion tier of the event. And what happens in the champion tier? Well, there are two more days of the tournament before you would enter the final portion of the event. 
The last day is naturally the most important portion of the event after the first day. And what happens on that day? On that day, you will participate in the final match on the fourth day. The third day, you will participate in the Grand Chase, which thins down the field a great deal. The Grand Chase? Correct. Yes, it is a race. A regular running race? or (laughs) Only some years. Okay, and what happens on the second day? The second day is where the majority of the events take place. Most of the redemption rounds occur. And if you're not in a redemption round? Then you will only face one tournament round, as per usual. You mentioned a prize. What's the prize? No one has ever discovered what the Dinja Hakir prize is. It is worked out between the tournament organizers and the prize recipient. You realize, by the way, this figure's mouth has not moved the entire time they've been speaking with you. Parplan. If we don't lose the first day and we don't win the last day, what happens if we get knocked out in those ones on the second or third day? You should be fine, assuming that you have amassed a previous track record that is considered acceptable. Have I? They pull a little tablet with one long arm out of their robes really quickly, and they start tapping on it. And you see it's more of a holographic display. They're hitting the projections rather than the actual screen. Current Dinja Hakir performance is satisfactory. Previous tournament, semi-final qualifier. Last one eliminated from the chase. What is the first day? First day is usually just the initial bracket sorting tournament. 16 teams will compete against one another to determine the top eight bracket, which is the champion bracket, as well as the bottom eight bracket, which is the redemption bracket. What kind of activity is it? Every activity is dictated randomly by the tournament committee ahead of the event. Do we bring stuff with us? How do these work? Everything that has been deemed necessary for you has been supplied. My sleigh isn't here. They shake their head and they go, incorrect. They hit the little pad that they have again, and it shows you a docking area where your sleigh is currently located. Oh, Santana relaxes a little bit. She was a little worried about what happened to her sleigh. What else do we need to know about this? Good question. They cock their head towards you for a moment, and then they ask, would you like to know the other competitors in the tournament? Yes. Sure. They pull it up, and you can see various pictures accompanying each listing that they're reading off to you from the weird alien language that their tablet is projecting to them. The first one is called the Circuit of the Great Unfleshing, and they flip to what look like, for all purposes, a pair of robots. One is vaguely bipedal, but it is also bristling with weapons. It has missiles. It has some kind of a drill on it. It has what look like laser cannons. Martina, you just know this thing is insane. Champion, N-I hyphen L-A-R. And then it flips to a multi-armed, very jitterly moving unit that seems to float from a central sphere and have all the radial arms coming out of it. Administration unit. Oh, I see. You ate one, two. They flip through with their hand and it pulls up what look like a pair of cartoon characters, especially Wacky Day, a cartoon dimension champion, Axel, Axolotl. You see a pink Axolotl wearing a backwards baseball cap, flipping the finger at the camera and riding a skateboard. And they go, totally awesome. Then they flip to representative, dumpy dog. And it is a little basset hound in a suit that just looks miserable, like they don't want to be there at all. They pull up the next one 
for a moment of little video plays for the two of you, where you can see differently themed cars running over and shooting pedestrians as they're racing one another. Death race. Kill Cruise 20XX. Representative. And they slide their finger really quickly. And it is a woman in a completely pink wool suit holding a microphone. (laughs) Melody Hoodwink. And then it flips to the champions, which is a gorgeous dark haired woman in a racing outfit and a man wearing a big body suit that is covered in burnt bones and who has flames coming off of the top of his head, which is a skull. El Scorcho and Navigator, Bonnie White. And behind them is a gnarly looking sports car. Are they from a death race world? Yes. Does Melody Hoodwink have a lot of great personal friends? Well, she's your very dear friend and mine, so I would assume so. Oh, I love it. Okay, let's keep going. Fill me in, fill me in. (laughs) Death Race 2000, it originally came out in like the 70s. And the whole premise is like, it's a world where they have a competition each year where people race from one side of the continent to the other. And their points are on how fast they get there and how many people they kill on the way. So like you get points, like more points if you kill like a young adult than you do an old person and stuff. And so the announcer is this lady who every time she talks to anyone, it's like, and my dear, close, personal friend, (laughs) like everybody that she talks to. And uh, the main guy is named Frankenstein and he has like this face thing because he's been in a bunch of them and has crashed a bunch and has been reconstructed. But the whole like premise is Frankenstein's not real. They just have a different racer because they die a lot because it's a dangerous <laughs> race because you like crash into each other and stuff It's remade more recently with, I think, Jason Statham as Frankenstein. And it was like in a prison. But yeah, if you like, you know how when you're driving and someone's like 10 points for the old lady, that's a uh-huh. 100% that one. And the navigator is supposed to like get them through places. But yeah, that's the problem. That's why I started laughing when I saw the death race stuff. And then the lady in the pink wool suit, I was just like, oh, <laughs> the next one is celebration of honey. In the Eternal Hives, production, propagation, and defense of the colony are absolutes. But in a change of seasons, a blessed pheromonal imperative to rest in successive waves overcomes the colonies as all the bees sleep. They flip the page and you see just the biggest damn bee you've ever seen in your life. She looks like she's the size of a Mack truck and she's got a little tiny, tiny tiara right on the top of her head. Underqueen, this is And then it flips the page and it's just another gigantic bee, but it's just like wandering around into things like a big dumb animal drone. I love that it's drone. (laughs) Just some random bee got caught up with her. The next holiday slash ritual that they flip to it's in quotation marks. You can tell that much because of the little marks on the page consumption forever. You see a small video of big nuclear explosions in the background as zombies are surging all over the place. And a couple of people are like pointing out where people are at to try and send the zombies towards them. They ignore those people. They flip the page. Ayanna Washington, High Priestess of Brulix. And it is a woman with very dark hair and dreadlocks in what looks like scavenged urban clothing with a mask that's made out of human flesh. They flip the page. The Sentimanus. The only way that you can describe this creature is a hulking brute of a person who has had arms put all over them, but none of the arms match one another. And it is very clearly very undead. All right. And that would be their claws. Their champion. Correct. 
the next page they flip to, you see there's virtually no information in the weird language that's on there. Oto Bobatoto. This is the only formalized celebration of the Darari Ectomen. We have no idea as to its function, when it happens, or why. They flip to the next page, and there is just a floating pinkish-colored sphere. Chief Arbiter to Newell, representative. They flip again, and there's another sphere, but it's hanging up in the air, and beneath it is what looks like a humanoid body made out of the same type of energy. The body is holding submachine guns to you and wearing some kind of armored outfit. Champion, Lanap Lep. They flip to the next one, and you immediately see a picture of a world that is just covered in water. And as the camera zooms down, there are ape-like creatures, but strikingly almost human, just diving underneath of the waters and towards various cities that are both on the small coastal areas that exist and underneath of the waves. Quum, also known as Day of Resonant Voice. They flip the page. Representative, ooey, ooh, ooh, the great song mystic. They flip again. And you see a figure who is completely surrounded by a shroud of water. Boom, Nop, champion. They flip it again. Orktoberfest. This is ostensibly the holiday that your world seems to enjoy as well, based on the mild psionic scan that I have conducted upon you, save for orcs instead of humans. They flip the page, and surely enough, it's an Oktoberfest mascot, normally called Uncle Hans. But this one has green skin instead of like an orangish skin. Oracle Hans, representative. And then they flip again and you see a barrel-chested orc wearing very traditional Bavarian lederhosen, who also has a sword at their side. Baron Holzhauser von Hohenfels, champion. The next holiday, Guna Guna. You see what look like drones dropping from the orbit of a planet that very much resembles Earth, save for the sky is completely dark. And you can see a Mad Max-style situation happening down there before the drones fly back up into the atmosphere and towards very rickety-looking space stations. You can see from the drone's perspective inside one of the big windows on the space station, there's a bunch of people dressed in very fancy clothing, all just laughing at the footage that they're watching from the drones. They flip the page, and you see a slimy-looking guy with a bad neck beard in very fancy clothing. Representative, no lay scum. And then it flips to the next page, and you see a massive half-cybernetic figure wearing a pith helmet and carrying just the biggest damn rifle you've ever seen in your life. Smart Car Van Klutzak, champion. The next one, Memory Eve. And you can see, as it points to a location, it looks like Earth, but all the continents on it are completely wrong. Like, everything's in a different location. None of them are really recognizable to you, but you just know that otherwise it looks like Earth. The Endless Knot. There's a yearly holiday that takes place to reflect on the myriad experiences and parallel dimensional cultures that have merged together in this reality. They flip the page, and there's a shifty-looking man wearing a business suit and smoking a cigarette. DJ Cooper, representative. Oh, yeah, I bet he has some parachuting experience we might want to watch out for. That's his dad. That's awesome. And the champion is Aja Almost Got Me Chermitz. And she is a woman who is decked out in what looks like strange technological gear, bright orange hair, dusky brown skin, and a very roguish smile on her face. 
they flip it the next one dark day and you can see an entire normal reality like yours where the sun is not shining even though it looks like it's supposed to be daytime people are freaking out and the perspective as he flips the page then shifts to a picture of an incredibly attractive blonde woman wearing one of the most boss power suits you've ever seen in your life Janice Hotchkiss representative And then it flips to what looks like a fashion model. She's got dark, short bobbed hair, incredible cheekbones, perfect figure. And then her fingers lengthen out a little bit and massive claws come from them as her face twists. Delilah Blanchard, champion. The next page flips and you can see a bunch of very gaunt, scarred looking people gathering around a fallen figure. And each one of them is using what looks like surgical knives to slowly cut pieces away from the figure. Nasl Yedsvo. They flip the page and there's a woman who is covered in a lattice of scars so deep that they look like wrinkles, especially with her advanced age. She's got almost gray skin and various portions of her skin have slightly different tones from the rest of them. Arenai Vasil Yevak. Parplan flips the page again. Jivan Kaladznik, Master of Blades, Champion. And you see an incredibly tall man. He's got to be at least seven feet tall, holding a bunch of small spheres that as they lift out of his hands, have various blades coming out of them. And he has the same scarring patterns as her in different places, but far less intricate and tight. They flip the page and the next one is The Going Ashore. Actual name of celebration slash practice, impossible for regular human palates to pronounce. Hence, my lack of translation for you. I worry that it would cause you mental distress. You see a video image of big black ships leading to a shore, and then strange beings in yellow robes come off of them with carts of red rubies that are about the size of your fist. They flip the page, and you're pretty certain for a moment that it's just a black picture. There's nothing in it. But you realize that it's something in so many draped hoods and veils that it's impossible to really get an idea of what they look like, other than a very small strip of pallid, unhealthy-looking flesh. Who's Luke Lo Thwap, representative. Cool, and who's their champion? As they flip, you see a figure that is just head-to-toe dressed in strips of yellowish-looking cloth. But at the ends of the cloth, it almost looks like it's frayed. But you notice when you look a little closer, it's not frayed so much as just partially insubstantial. Saffron Veil, champion. They flip to the next page, and you can see a full moon in the sky as well as various very pale red-eyed figures all gathered around a big circle where some kind of religious rite is being formed. Knights of the Blood Moon. They flip the page and you can see a person in a fanged mask wearing very ornate ritual robes. Vorgesh Tarlan, priest of Vald Tagor, representative. And then they flip it again to a figure that is armored in plate armor from head to toe and carrying a lance that seems to be dripping blood from the end of it, but it just doesn't stop dripping blood. And they have a white destrier next to them with red eyes that's similarly armored in the same kind of plate. Crimson Lance, champion. You know I'm going to get all of these. These names are getting butchered by me, I know, and it's going to be even funnier when you do it to their faces. (laughs) And the last one is Mayday. 
you can see faint images that show specifically Jesus Christ never being crucified and living out a long and healthy life with a small following of people. They flip the page and it says, Maynad, Matriarch, Policini de Morelos, Representative. And then they flip the page again and you see a dark-skinned man wearing a cowboy hat with a gun belt on him and various different occult symbols tattooed all over his body in white ink. Connor, baby Silverhand, Mama Walde of Ire, champion. Could you show us what you would show for us? Certainly. There is an image of a very archetypal-looking Santa Claus clambering down a chimney and delivering presents to children, while on top of the roof, there are shadowy-looking assailants attacking a figure who is currently just slashing at them with what look like flipped candy canes with the ends sharpened. Could be you. <laughs> you take this job. <laughs> what about all this? <laughs> yeah, this all could be yours. Everything the, the candy cane touches. It's your kingdom. Your introduction is Santa Santana, and it is just a picture of you as you are currently <laughs> representative. And then he flips the page again. And Martina, it is you just completely as you are currently. Although it, there is somehow an alternate picture of you and your plasma state that you can see on the tablet. Martina Valentine, a.k.a. Nightfire, champion. Can you tell us what the representative does versus what the champion does? The representative is in place to have any sort of communications with higher-up tournament staff, whereas the champions are usually the ones performing most of the events. Representatives are, however, sometimes drawn into events, and all representatives of qualifiers do participate in the Grand Chase. Oh, that's going to be a sleigh chase. During the tournament, each team is allowed to issue two challenges, one for the representative and one for the champion. Sorry, what do you mean by issue a challenge? you may single out another team to issue a challenge to. That is in addition to the events you will be participating in, which are typically one team versus one team events. So we can be challenged additionally by others and we can pick someone else to challenge additionally directly. That is correct. All challenges must, of course, be submitted through me so I may relay them to the appropriate tournament officials. What are our challenges? Like we want to fight you or like we want you to go get us Arby's? I will explain the differences in the challenges to you. Will that be acceptable? Yes. Representatives may only issue challenges to other representatives. Representative challenges are delivered via the team's Rulian translator. And challenged team's representative stipulates the nature of the event, mental, physical, or social. At which point, the choice is referred to the tournament committee, which then arranges and assigns the exact event, including the environment the contest takes place in, as well as any additional stipulations. The victor of the challenge will receive a randomized boon in their team's next tournament event. Champions may only issue challenges to other champions, and once issued, challenge has been received. It is only reported to the challenge team via their translator, while the tournament committee stipulates the entirety of the contest, nature, environment, duration, and specifications, before immediately enacting the challenge. There is no reward other than success for winning the champion challenge. Do I have to submit a challenge to someone else? No. Oh boy, we are in so much trouble. <laughs> Refusal to compete in an event by a team's champion or inability to submit a champion for an event by the appointed event time will result in disqualification for that team for the event. 
Teams are allowed to replace one representative and one champion during the course of the tournament, subject to their holiday slash rights thematic specifications. So if I die, Santana could get another clause in here. Correct. From here or outside? It would have to be from the grouping that has been provided for your tournament team. You cannot die. What? You don't think Dr. Weird Elf over there is going to be a good fighter for you? He's a sex doctor. He's a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> He's like, I really am. <laughs> Dehane Jahakir tournament staff, including security, licensed vendors, teamsters, translators, or other ancillary staff members, but specifically the tournament committee and announcing staff, are considered protected, and any intentional injury slash killing or other molestation of such on part of any team's members will result in immediate and full disqualification from the Dehinja Jakare tournament with full and immediate application of all legal and combat remedies applicable under the laws of Plonkrif Entertainment Productions Incorporated, LLC. Is this being broadcasted? Currently, yes. And as you're looking through the Starbucks, you realize one thing. The windows are completely frosted. You cannot see out of them right now. Are you recording in the bathroom? Bathroom recordings are prohibited. That's not a no. That's just telling me what the rules are. Santana doesn't say that because Santana's a better person than I am. (laughs) They hold up a finger and they also say, audience members and the general public are, upon pain of death after protracted physical, magical, and psionic torture, prohibited from fearing with or attacking active event or challenge participants. You mentioned really bad penalties if we accidentally hurt someone of your stature or tournament official. Is there a way to tell who's who? Because I did not memorize everyone's faces from those pictures you just showed us. They, not at all. they move the robes that they're wearing aside a little bit. And you can see there's a little glyph right on their chest. They point right to it and they say, if you see this, do not attack that person. Good. I'll just ask everyone to get naked before I throw a punch. <laughs> Santana has a lot of snarky thoughts, but she keeps them on the inside like a good person does. Do not be concerned. Most staff members will identify themselves to you. If we don't know that there's staff, is that taken into account? Theoretically, it could be. I want to be like, I just want you to take a quick look at how police officers and stuff happen in my country. And then let me know if that's the same thing staff are like. But I will not. <laughs> now, I do wish to warn the two of you. Mixing with the general public can be extremely dangerous as no special escorts are provided for tournament teams and all non-tournament movement around the tournament that aren't the team housing areas, healing facilities, or two from the tournament grounds are considered to be at the team's own risk. But I thought you said if they interfere with us, they get in trouble. Oh, they do. Okay. But that doesn't stop them from doing it sometimes. Correct. It also makes for good viewing. And if they attack us, we can't attack back because we're not supposed to hurt Oh, you can do whatever you want to to normal event goers, just not staff. Are they allowed in here? Oh, no. No, none staff are allowed inside of the team area. Am I able to provide you with a list of needs that we'll have? I don't know how you guys made this place, but is there a way for me to have a little outside area? Because these dogs do not use toilets. A small area has been provided for your animals to utilize as a bathroom. We have provided male, female, non-binary, and animal bathrooms for you. Perfect. Okay. I don't think Santana has any more. Like, her head is spinning. This feels like just something you got to get through. Are you allowed to give us advice? Like, if I were to issue a challenge, is there someone you would recommend as a better one to challenge than others? 
while I am officially prohibited from interfering in any fashion with the tournament, I am allowed to air my own beliefs and opinions regarding the other teams. Please feel free to voice any opinions you might have that you think, because we don't know. I shall do so. As they say that, the frostedness goes away from the windows on the outside of the Starbucks, and the two of you see the biggest damn city you've ever seen in your entire lives unfurl out in front of you. It's larger than Manhattan. It's larger than Los Angeles. And the sky is a weird purpley-orange color as various craft and also flying beings are passing through all the different buildings that seem to have been erected in this area. You notice the area that you're in appears to be somewhat segregated. As you look outside, you can see that there's other buildings next to you on either side, but there are a number of armed guards that are large, purplish-skinned creatures with slightly piggish faces and little horns coming from the tops of their heads wearing blue power armor and carrying very advanced rifles. And you can see a number of people from the vast, and I mean millions of people streaming past crowd. They are beings of all different species. It's mind-blowing how many different creatures are all assembled. And some of them are trying to look in at you, but it appears that there's like some kind of shading that's preventing them from seeing you directly on it yet. Do they have to be able to see in at us? I can cause the windows to become difficult to see through again if you would wish me to do so. I'd like to be able to see out, but not have them see in. Yes. Mm. Unfortunately, you are also being recorded, so most of your conversations in this place will be broadcast. Is it real live feed broadcast, or is there a delay? It depends on which feed is being accessed. There are some live feed broadcasts, but most of those are only sporadic. Who doesn't even know about the illusion of privacy? I'm from America. I like my recording devices to be discreet and hidden out of sight. Thank you. And there's a beeping noise that comes from the little device that they were showing you the different competitors on. And you hear in your minds once again, they go, ooh, it appears that the brackets have been assigned. Okay, who are we up against? You are, ironically, the first match. Oh, fun. Yes, you have been assigned against, especially Wacky Day. Okay. What is the competition going to entail of? The competition style will be physical, comma, race. Objective, traverse the course while doing impressive stunts. Environment, the infinite urban downhill. Stipulations, combat allowed, three wipeout limit. What does three wipeout limit mean? They press a little button on the display that's showing the different brackets and kind of drill down into it. And they scan over it for a moment. They say, If you fall off of your board three times, you are eliminated. Board? Yes, correct. And they pull up a picture of what looks like a longboard skateboard. Do we have to stay on the skateboard? The skateboard must remain in physical contact with you throughout the duration of the race. If you remove physical contact from the board, then you will have one wipeout. Is it just her competing or are we both going to be on the board? Only the champion will be competing in the event. How are you at skateboarding? That wasn't on your resume. Could I, in theory, hold the skateboard and fly? They look up at the ceiling for a moment, and then there's a little beep on the console that they have. I am not entirely certain what a Air Bud is. Air Bud rules. There's no rules against it. 
Okay. Are these boards? Um, I fly in a special plasma state, and it's not exactly. Are they plasma proof? Yeah. They tap on the board again, and they say, the board specifications are designed to the rider. Opponent has already provided an acceptable board within the thresholds of the event's parameters. Piece of skateboarding axolotl. Oh, you're right. Is my bag any heavier? Is there a gift I could give her to assist her on her journey? There is nothing else in your bag right now. I'm sorry, I don't have anything I can help you with. That's okay. Parplon says, your match will be starting in one standard Earth hour from this point. You just sit and stare at the wall for an hour because of the process. Jesus. She didn't even know that like Santa was real. And now not only is Santa real, but you need to skateboard against a cartoon for Santa's honor. Thank you. You can see coming out from some of the different buildings around yours are the other team participants. Could we see the cartoons? You do see the cartoons. Axel Axolotl is currently skating all around this place and flipping people off and giving other rude gestures to them. Dumpy Dog looks pretty depressed. And the building on the other side of you appears to house the folks from Nasalyev's foe. Am I allowed to help or is it all the champion? It's all the champion. Yeah. Unfortunately, representatives are not allowed to assist once the event has started. Once it's started? That is correct. Okay. You mentioned that we're currently being recorded and all that with the feeds. Are, are we able to watch the feeds from any of our competitors? They punch a couple of buttons and a TV screen that was normally just a regular TV in the Starbucks pops on. And instead of ads, you see just a TV guide that just keeps going forever and ever and ever as they start thumbing through it. Which competitor would you like to view? Does that mean all of our competitors can see in here? Except for the bathroom. The only places that are not available to be viewed are sleeping areas and bathing areas and the healing areas. Sleeping areas. Okay. I would be spending my whole time in that freaking bathroom just holding my dog and crying. (laughs) (laughs) That was how I would spend the next hour. Harplon, in your opinion, who is the best of all the champions? Do you mean as far as moral character, or do you mean as far as potential to win the event? Potential to win. I already know which one's the best moral character, so we don't need to know that. (laughs) Well, I do believe that you are strong competitors. However, my top three choices to be the absolute winners of this event would be as follows. Dark Day, Knights of the Blood Moon, and Consumption Forever. They have very strong champions who are very capable. Yeah, but I have a good champion too. They give a nod and they say, yes, you do. Can you tell me more about Dark Day, Uh, about their champion, Delilah? Delilah Blanchard. There is not much information listed for Delilah Blanchard other than that her species is Bikini Demon Woman and that she is a very successful model in her home dimension. And she's the one that has claws that come out of her fingers? Correct. I was picturing like that lady from X-Men. Lady Deathstrike? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is that what it was like? Kind of, only they're people claws, like not weird metal mutant claws. Let's go sit in the bedroom. So we go to sit in the bedroom where we presumably won't be recorded. Parplon says, if you have further need of me, please do not hesitate to call me. Yeah, Parplon, are you going to be sticking around here or do we like just shout your name out or? I will be an attache to your team through the remainder of this event. 
Thank you. We're really happy to have you, Parplon. I am very happy to serve. So let's go in the room. You take your snacks and coffee into the room. <laughs> and my dogs. Oh, they all follow. All of, well, a couple of them stay out with Parplon because they really like them too. I'm like, Dr. Hermanoidas, did you know about this, Cormie? That is well beyond my time, honestly. That's something that took place 500 years ago. So no, I didn't have any idea that this was going to happen at all. It's terrible. We've got so many preparations to go through still. There's so many pregnant elves right now. I know, I know. Okay, so maybe while we're gone, could you guys watch our competitors and maybe see if you can get any... Dr. Hermonitis, you're really good at reading people. So maybe you can kind of help us psych them out or maybe figure out what some weaknesses are. He looks up at Abominable Corny and they both nod. And he says, we'll do our best. Corny's real good at telling how good people fight. Yeah, I know, Cormie. You're like, people underestimate you, but you're really good at reading like the physical stuff. And Dr. Hermonitis, you're good at the mental stuff. So maybe between the two of you, you can give us a little bit of an edge. Go to see who's Scrubs, who's Top Caliber. Yeah. So I guess I'll see if Parplon will let them watch TV and teach them how to cycle between our competitors. Yeah, Parplon comes and shows them how to work a little remote device that they have. It's not like the tablet that Parplon carries around with them. It's just, again, a weird that TV would be remote. a bit much for Cormie anyway. So <laughs> They start watching the various feeds that are showing like past performances from the different competitors and things like that. So, Martina, have you ever skateboarded? Like twice is a joke when, you know, not, uh, no. <laughs> but if it just has to stay in contact with my body, then I can just carry the thing. I could fly. And what's an impressive stunt? Does it have to be a board stunt? Well, no, because if the skateboard has to stay in contact with your body, they wouldn't want you doing like jumping stunts and stuff. Maybe lots of flips. The good news is if it has to stay in contact with his feet, that limits some of the cool shit he can do. Because there's a fair amount of skateboarding tricks that you lose contact with the board and that's kind of the cool stuff. So it's not like he can jump off of it and have it like do the flippies underneath him and then jump back on it. Because that's not staying in contact with the board the whole time. Maybe like doing lots of cool shit. But like the way skateboarders do that cool squat thing on the board where they where they hold it. <laughs> You can tell that Harm's real into skateboarding, can't you, folks? You can tell I was only into boys who skateboarded and not the actual skateboarding itself. I cannot paint you a word picture. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm all out of word pictures. It's okay. I, I, I know what you're talking about, but if you is can that fly. something that aliens would think is an impressive stunt? What's an impressive stunt to aliens? Can we see at Parblon, have they done stuff like this before? I want to see the match, please. Yeah, they go over and they grab the remote from Abominable Corny and Herbanoidus, and they start flipping through the channels on the TV until they get to some of the past events that have taken place. They run a little search for board, which pulls up a bunch of different videos, and you can see there are hundreds of thousands of videos that are available on this television service. Uh, we just want to see the most recent winners. Yeah, the most recent one they pull up for... It is a Greek hecatonchier, which is a figure just completely made out of bird wings, sitting on top of a board that's going down a hill. And in the other one, it's a man that looks like a tree. And they just start doing sick stuff. Like the tree man has some of his branches hold on to the board while he's standing upside down on it. 
Meanwhile, the Hecatonky air just rolls over the ground and smashes into things before it starts doing like flips onto various protrusions to spin itself around. And it's not, it doesn't have like the board in contact with the ground most of the time, it sounds like. Not with the ground most of the time, but they are grinding on anything they can possibly find as well as riding the board. Stuff as they go by. (laughs) You said also a race. So is the winner just the one who gets to the end first, or is it the one who does the most cool stuff on the way to the end? The competition is weighted towards sickest tricks. You go very fast, right? Yeah. I can also tightrope walk. I know I didn't say that, but it's not exactly something that normally comes up. So I assume I can kind of keep my balance on a skateboard. It can't be that hard, right? <laughs> Every skateboarder in our audience. <laughs> doing, they're like, Famous last words. <laughs> like She is desperate to feel at all comfortable with this coming. <laughs> Look, if, if you can fly and you can tightrope walk, then as long as you're holding onto the board, I think it's cool. It just seems like you need to like put your board up against like railings and and on stairs and stuff. Just touch it to things and do lots of flippies, I guess. Do they have another flyer that? There is one image of a flyer. It is just a bird man. They fly really high up into the air with the board clasped between their thighs. And as they drop, they just find every available surface as they go into their dive and just jump off of it into this massive multi-tiered jump as they head towards the ground. So it's really just doing cool stuff while you have a skateboard. Correct. And they pull up a map of the infinite downhill or as best a pictographical representation as you can give of an infinite slope. It basically looks like if you took a single block in San Francisco and just extended it on a diagonal forever. With the doctor and Cormie have helped plan previous Santa runs. So with their help, can we kind of plan a route that might be beneficial to Martina? They flip off of the map and they say, unfortunately, you don't really have that much time. And they point to a little timepiece that they have. 15 minutes beforehand, the champions will be called towards the arena chambers. Is that called vocally or called like we were called to this tournament? You'll know when it's time. Okay. You said that everything we need is here. Does that mean you also brought my body armor? They look around and they motion towards a case that's been tucked away near one of the dressers in the sleeping area. They say, is that what you were looking for? Yes. And I'm also going to say that her backpack is there too. Yeah. All your personal belongings that you need for doing your normal thing are there. Did I get extra clothes, too? Because I don't want to be running around in stilettos. There are several of your outfits in the drawers already. I'm going to change, too. Not as cool of a changing scene. You got, like, this cool, like, suit-up scene, and I'm like, leggings. (laughs) (laughs) More comfortable. Warm, fuzzy jacket. (laughs) She's suiting up. I'm getting into more practical clothing. Think travel Santa. It'll be similar to what she broke into the prison with. Okay, well, as the two of you are finishing preparing and asking the final questions that you have, you can hear through the entirety of this place a low thrumming tone that kind of sounds like the world's biggest bell being rung. Parplon says, that would be the 15-minute warning. All right, Parplon, can you help us get there? Certainly. Since you have already been summoned, we should be able to go right there. And as they motion to the front door, when you open it up, 
you realize it does not open to the actual front of this place. From now on, we only leave when the bell rings so we don't get accosted by travelers, I guess. Absolutely. Parplon says travelers are not allowed inside of the main team's area. Only team members and other tournament staff are allowed to enter into the area. As you head towards the gray, almost television static-like void of the door that's opened in the front of the Starbucks, is there anything you want to do before you head into the tournament? Yes, I would like to ask Parplon, when we return, could you have the circles prepared in our bedroom? Parplon cocks their head. I'm sorry, I'm not entirely certain as to what you're referencing. You said you brought everything that we needed to compete in this competition, right? That is correct. Everything that you need to participate in this contest has been provided for you. Then for my champion to be at full force, we need to have the circles to conduct the finalization of the clause ceremony. Interesting. There is no mention of any circles in the logs that I have been provided by the tournament committee. Well, normally it's a private matter because it's a part of the closed aspect of the holiday. We will need access to those circles in order for her to fully be the clause and to fully be my champion. They look very serious as they regard you and they say, I understand. I will send a message to the tournament committee to make them aware of this situation and to see if we can have this resolved in an orderly fashion. Thank you. I'm going to also turn to the doctor and be like, doctor, could you get in contact with the gnomes of Zurich to let them know that there will be the moving of the circles to this tournament? Doc waves their finger at you for a moment or two and says, that's Santa. That's Santa right there. Smart thinking. I'm going to go get on some things right now. I'll go talk to our little rock friends, okay? Thank you, Doc. And then I turn to Parplon and Martina and I go, all right, I'm ready. I I try and shoot you like a meaningful glance to let you know, like, I have a plan, hopefully. (laughs) I'm trying to help. (laughs) Yeah. Martina's kind of going, okay, don't know anything about any circles, but sure. Yeah, it's just skateboarding. What could go wrong? No offense to people who actually know how to do that, because I I, realize. If I spent five minutes on a skateboard, I'd be coming out of it with at least one broken bone. Yeah, Johnny can't skate. As you pass through the doorway, you are immediately parted from one another. Santana, when you emerge, you find yourself in an opulently decorated balcony-style area that seems to overlook the biggest arena that you've ever seen in your life. Football fields on football fields could be put in this place. And two vast machines on either side of this arena are thrumming with magical energy. You don't even have to see anything from it. You can just feel it in your gut. I think Santana's going to be trying to see if she can see Martina anywhere. She's pretty worried about her. Santana, you do in fact see Martina because Martina, you appear in the middle of the arena on a vast golden circle that's inlaid with a bunch of different strange occult looking runes on it. And you can almost feel in your bones this force of energy coming from the machine that's about a couple hundred feet directly behind you and the circle that you're in. And you can see arcs of bluish energy starting to form at the very tips of the machines. There is a roaring crowd surrounding you. You can't tell how many beings are in this big crowd in the arena. You would wager easily a million This is the largest single gathering of beings you've ever seen in your entire life. And they are roaring. Some of them have t-shirts and banners with your face on them. I'm going to ask Parplon, hey, Parplon, could I get one of those (laughs) t-shirts? 
Harplot oh. leans over to you, and there's a little bit of a din up in the balcony area where you're at, but it's nowhere near as loud as the roaring crowd down there. You can see occasionally a flicker of a force screen that surrounds this entire area that you're in, Santana. Parplon says, I will get right on that for you. Thank you, Parplon. And you can see it looks like a few other representatives have gathered up in this area to watch the fight that's going on, but not all of them. Which representatives are there? The representatives that are there currently are under Queen, his chief arbiter Tanul of Oto Bobatoto, Oracle Hans from Orktoberfest, DJ Cooper from Memory Eve, Janice Hotchkiss from Dark Day, and Vorgesh Tarlon from Knights of the Blood. I'm going to give them all a closed-lipped smile so that I'm not flashing my teeth threateningly if anybody takes it that way, and just see if any of them seem friendly. Well, the first one to greet you as you come in is Oracle Hans. He comes kind of bounding over towards you, and he's carrying a very full stein of beer. In his other hand, he has what looks like a sausage roll that he holds out to you. He says, well, hello there. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. How are you doing at these festivities? Oh, you know, just having a good time. It's just nice to see somebody who's kind of recognizable. <laughs> yeah. We got Orc Santa, you know. Do you? Oh, yeah, he's a nice guy. We talk to him occasionally, every once in a while. You see him put the beer to his mouth, but it looks like a mascot head, so you're not sure how he's drinking it. It just goes in. You know what? That's not the weirdest thing for Santana today. So she's just going to not even acknowledge that. I think she's just really sad because she hasn't met Hans from the Oktoberfest. And that's sad. She's a holiday. Maybe she should get to know him. Oh, Dumpy Dog is there as well. He looks relatively nervous. I think she's going to nod to him. He nods back over to you and he holds his little tiny hands up in a shrug. And he says, it's a living. (laughs) She laughs and goes, yeah. There is a booming noise as you hear a voice over the din of the massive crowd that's taking place. You can hear it at a relatively decent volume in the little area that you're located in, Santana. But it's almost deafening down where you're at, Martina. And by the way, Martina, you have been provided a metallic skateboard with wheels that have like some kind of metal bushings on them. And the voice goes, What do now one now wants the beginning of the we will be well naming an action commentator, while Thraxis and the Bobby Yaga will be serving color commentary. That's right, Plon. We're going to be really enjoying this one today, aren't we, folks? And the crowd just erupts as this very muscular, smug looking man who's in a little broadcasting area that's above the place where you're located at, Santana starts speaking into the microphone. There's, of course, Baba Yaga from Mythology, and what looks like a 20-foot-tall creature that's just made out of tentacles with a central eye in the middle of it, which is Lord Plongriff. Full for sanity. (laughs) And Baba Yaga goes, I'm not really interested in this one. All this kid stuff. Silly, if you ask me. Give us good old-fashioned bloodshed like they had back in the old days. The machines crackle to life. And a massive portal, large enough for you to fit everybody inside of the arena, starts to open up. In it, from where you're located at, Martina, you can see a street in San Francisco that continues on into infinity down below you. 
and you see a little lip area at the end of your circle where you're allowed to pull up to. There's a little dotted line in front of it that you're pretty certain means don't cross. And you can see the color on the portal starting to shift as there's a series of tones. There's one tone, then a second tone with two rings to it. And on the third one, the little ramp area drops down immediately, and you are launched down onto this street as you pass through the portal, with Axel Axolotl appearing next to you on this downhill course. They are currently holding wrapped around with their tail on the bottom of their board as they're going down the middle of a busy street full of cars and doing a really relaxed position where they're leaning backwards. They look at you and they give you the finger before they start flying down forwards faster on their skateboard. Well, since we technically can fall three times, she's going to start out with the skateboard as an intended skateboard and just see if she can get a sense of balance and start down the hill. Okay. So as you appear and just land on the asphalt of this road that is just going at a 40 degree angle downwards, so not directly diagonally down, but far enough down that it's pretty scary. Go ahead and give me a balance check, please. You'd be good at that, right? I'm very good at that, in theory. Yeah, let's see if the dice are good at that. 48 out of a 92. Ooh, what you are real good at balance. 92? <laughs> you immediately drop down on the board and realize that at the rate that you're traveling on it, you're about to collide with the back of a taxi cab. When you just lay back down on this longboard and shoot underneath of it like you're losing. Oh, up in the booth, Santana's like, that's my champion! When you pop out in front of it, you've got a relatively clear shot for the next little bit. There's no vehicles around you. So what are you going to do? I'm going to reach down, squat, grab it with one hand, and then turn into plasma. Sexy skateboarder squat, as I refer to it as. (laughs) (laughs) As you squat down and touch the board and burst into flames, you realize the board also transforms into a plasma form along with you. Hey, Parplop, can we keep that afterwards? They look at you quizzically for a moment and they're like, it is possible that that could be arranged. That's just really cool. Oracle Hans, by the way, is on his third beer already. He's showing no signs of slowing down. Every time he takes a drink, he's just pounding an entire one. As much as Santana is like very captivated by this competition, she also wants to kind of deal out the competitors. So who's close to her besides Dumpy Dog? You can see Janice Hotchkiss has been watching you. She's got a very cruel-looking face. She's a statuesque blonde woman wearing haute couture clothing currently. Out of curiosity, how many of these people have X's and how many have checks? Well, that's a great question. Out of the people that are in here, the only ones that don't have X's are going to be Dumpy Dog, the Underqueen, surprisingly, DJ Cooper is much like Railgun had been, a single red slash. Janice Hotchkiss makes you want to turn your face away when you try and see what her naughty nice ratio is. There's no nice in that person. Okay. Vorgish Tarlon, they've got a red X, but it's not super heavily red. That might pass for good on their planet. Who knows? What about the Arbiter of Tanul and... Oh, Arbiter Tanul is a bastard. You can tell that immediately. Very evil. And Oktoberfest is good? Oh, yeah. Oracle Hans is great. Oracle Hans just wants to drink and eat sausage. So she's going to let her gaze slide on past Janice Hotchkins and go to the Underqueen and just give her another smile and kind of nod. 
it takes her a little bit because of how big she is. She's got a whole area of this place just to herself, but she gives you a slight nod and the little tiara on her head just slips around it almost comically because of how much bigger her head is than the crown. I think she's going to ask, Parplan, could you give the Ender Queen our best wishes in her competition to come? Parplan gives you a little nod and goes wandering over to the translator. All the translators, by the way, are fine. They're all very nice aliens. Okay, cool. And they go wandering over to her translator. Back down on the infinite downhill, what is the sick trick that you're going to pull off besides bursting into flames? Because your opponent, Axel Axolotl, is reaching into their pockets and it looks like they've pulled out an M80. They're going to attack you, girl. Yeah, and they're in the process of lighting it. Weirdly, the lighter that they're carrying does not appear to be affected by the massive rushes of wind that are coming past, but that's cartoon logic for you. And they suddenly bank their board and start riding up one of the buildings on the infinite downhill. Okay, I'm going to burst into the air, flying straight up while still clutching the board, of course, and I'm going to do a backflip and use the little bend light trick that I showed Santana in the interview a year ago now, (laughs) or so it feels, (laughs) and do a rainbow over me as I backflip. Oh, Oh, wow. That's so cool. So go ahead and give me, since you're doing those complicated movers, you'll just need to make a backflip check. 62 out of 98. Nice. And now, oh, no. Oh, no. Boy, GM John's having a really great first roll for the game. Axel Axolotl manages to get the M80 that they were lighting lit, and they throw it down towards where you're at, Martina. But a sudden upgust of wind blows it back up to their general location, and it explodes right in front of them. (laughs) They wipe out? I'm rolling for something real quick to see. Yeah, they get blasted off of their board and slide down in a pancake fashion along the side of the building before they hit the street and do the little leaf thing where they just kind of float to a stop as a big pancake. And then their board lands on top of them. So it's currently (laughs) one wipeout to zero wipeouts. Leader is Martina. Are there any shadows that I can see? You would have to diverge from the main pathway and go near one of the side buildings to do so. It would be hard to do that at the current rate that you're moving at. I would make you make a balance check with a minus 20 penalty on it. You got something cool in mind. I can see it on your face. (laughs) I'm trying to decide if it's worth the risk or if it's a horrible idea or just... (laughs) Okay, she's going to try that. I want to move towards some of the shadows to hide in the shadows in the darkness using my night stalking and then shoot out further down. So go ahead and give me a balance check minus 20 to make sure that you're continuing to maintain contact with the board and pulling off your sick moves. 42. Wow. So you grab your board and suddenly just divert to the side as you're rolling and you have so much momentum that as you hit an alleyway between two large buildings on this downhill... Your power flare-up from being in darkness is immediate, and the little drone that's following you to record everything catches it as you just blaze even brighter than you had previously. You start coring through buildings as your plasma form hits because of the speed that you're at until you manage to stop a couple of buildings through and get control of it but you still have control of the board as you start rocketing downwards out of one of the buildings. And when I say out, I mean directly through the material of the wall. Arplon back? 
Parplon returns and Parplon says, the Underqueen has hoped you achieve success in this event and the others. She says that she believes that you are one of the best competitors. She's going to like point to what's happening down there and be like, Parplon, that's cool to everyone, right? Not just people, because for me, that's really cool. Well, based on the reaction from the crowd who had all started like booing and laughing when Axlax Lottle wiped out, they're freaking out right now. They did not expect somebody to go off the course and then tank through a couple of walls as they turned into a ball of bluish purple fire. And you emerge a significant distance further than Axel's at because they had to take time to recover from getting wiped out. They had to wait for the camera to be off of them before they could return to their normal (laughs) three-dimensional form. But they start zooming back down with a vengeance, and you can hear them screaming something at you in the distance, specifically with how good your hearing is. You know it's just a string of expletives at this point. And they pull a gnarly grind off on the top of a semi as they leap their board up. And you can see them pulling something else out of their pocket and realize it's a slingshot. Can I shoot scattershot burst, Adam? You can. Plasma burst? Yeah. 23. Oh, wow. (laughs) Axel Axolotl tries to get out of the way with like a sick flip that they do with the board underneath of them still as they're holding on to it upside down. But then four tiny beams of plasma that leap from your hand just core right through them and it gives them that Swiss cheese look. 10 damage total. Yeah, it doesn't appear to slow them down too much. Oh, no. I was going to say it doesn't appear to slow them down too much, but the holes that you put in them are right down where their knees and calves are, and their legs just kind of crumple underneath of them as they wipe out and smear across the pavement like putty. Are you going to be okay? It's a cartoon. (laughs) Santana's still worried. She's going to turn to Dumpy Dog. He's okay, right? Dumpy Dog looks up at you. He says, Honestly, the best thing that could ever happen to this world is that something bad happens to Axel Axolotl. Okay. You don't have to be around him. You don't understand. You don't understand how rude he is. You don't understand how annoying he is. Worst character ever. Noted. Does Axel Axolotl have a red X? (laughs) Yes. Axel does. Wow. Axel's a turd. I'm just picturing how Railgun would have handled this. He'd have been so mad. (laughs) <laughs> I'd have been getting yelled at for this. So that is now two wipeouts for team, especially Wacky Day, versus zero wipeouts for team Christmas. I just could keep flying down the thing. Well, as you're flying down the thing, you start entering a construction zone. There's a ton of big cranes and different I-beams swinging around up above the traffic that's starting to jam up. And you can see off in the distance, there's a tunnel ahead. That's where the bulk of the traffic seems to be slowing down. Is through the tunnel the only way? Not necessarily. I mean, if you were bold enough, you could probably even do some six stunts going over the tunnel. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to... Games over the tunnel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'd be like, rub my skateboard on (laughs) I-beams. They seem to like it when you rub your skateboard on stuff. (laughs) That, we'll do that. Okay, well, as you fly high up into the air and end up running your board across a couple of the beams there, and you're just basically holding on in a crouch for dear life as it continues, the wheels leaving grooves of burning metal behind you as you're flying over this whole traffic snarl that's happening. 
you can see that Axel Axolotl has once again recovered and they hop themselves up on top of the cars and trucks that are in the traffic jam. You can see they pull out what looks like a hole from their pocket and they throw it way down ahead of them. And all of a sudden where it lands, one of the cars just falls through. Is that in front of her? No, it's down in front of the area close to the tunnel. Okay. But I do want you to give me a perception check really quickly, Martina. A 19. Oh. You see far up above you, even as you're doing a sigmic twist in the air with the board, there is a car falling directly towards you from the sky. I'm going to shoot it with a plasma bulk. Full force? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead and give me an attack roll. 17. Yeah, that hits the falling car. It's a pretty big target, even off in the distance where it's at. 61. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. You slice through the front portion of the car. You take off maybe a half foot of the nose of it, and it goes spiraling off in the distance as it starts falling. So it's very much off kilter as you shoot over the top of the river that this tunnel cuts underneath of. And there's just a burning plasma contrail behind you as you're spinning. Uh, Parplon, are there real people in those cars? Parplon nods and says, of course. Are they going to be okay? Let's talk about something different. Parplon! I apologize, Santa. This is not something I have control over. I'm contractually obligated to work here. I understand, Parplon. She's adding that to her list of complaints. (laughs) She's got a list that she's going to be filing. She's like, Parplon, if you ever need a job, if I still have my job after this, We can always use somebody that can translate at the North Pole. It would be a delight, but I fear that I will be employed here forever. Much like my father and my mother and all of my family before me. Just like a familial servitude thing? We were born into servitude. It's hard to say how many centuries ago my people were put into servitude. I think Santana's face would be very clear on how she feels about that sort of thing. Now, I have to make a very important check for Axel Axolotl. Martina's doing such cool stuff. Martina, like how sick would that be? As you shoot over the top of the river and there's, again, a wake of plasma behind you, you see Axel Axolotl shoot out as well, having gone completely flat to get themselves underneath the traffic jam in there and still riding on top of some of the different cars and trucks that are continuing to go down the hill. I think Santana's going to be like, Parplon, we're not telling her there were people in that car, by the way. They nod. <laughs> Can I bend light and reflect it into his eyes to blind him? Ooh. Oh, go ahead clever. and give me an attack roll on that. That's a no. That's a one. Oh. Okay. As you go to shoot a beam of light, it reflects right off of the mirror of a passing truck that's going near Axel Axolotl and bounces up into your face. Fortunately, you have enough control over light that it's not really problematic for you. But go ahead and give me a balance minus 10 roll just to make sure that doesn't throw you off. The embarrassment. <laughs> Hoisted by your own light petard. That was such a clever plan, too. Four. Oh, you take it like a champ. It hits you, and for a second you're worried, but then you realize one iron grip you still have on this board, which surprisingly durable considering you're in your plasma state still. It hits her and she just is highlighted like an angel for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) The area seems to shift from more of a construction style zone to what appears to be more commercial. There's all sorts of different stores in the way along the sides. 
And for a moment, Axel Axolotl stops their skateboard and is just kind of staring at the signage in the front of one of the stores. It's a weed dispensary. Oh, man, I'd really love to get totally ripped right now. That'd make it great. Then I can go back to kicking this gal's ass. Woo! I bet he couldn't do it high. I bet he, like all the other lightweights, skates worse when he's high. After a couple of moments, he hesitantly picks up his board so he's still maintaining contact with it and heads inside. Oh, man, use that bonus, girl. (laughs) Giving it to you. (laughs) He gave you a present. How far away is the finish line at this point from where she's at? You have no idea yet. Uh, Well, rather, she has no idea. You see a projection on it. There's still at least a couple miles left of this race. When they call it the infinite downhill, the part that you're seeing is only the portion of the map that they've actually decided to sequester for the race. It literally goes forever. Well, right now you're in the high dollar district portion of the downhills commercial area. So you're looking at all the big named companies. Skateboarding tricks are like flippies and twisties and... I was just thinking, like, she doesn't technically know how to skateboard. She just has a good sense of balance. So she's like, I don't even know what to try. (laughs) Aren't you glad you got the skateboarding one out early? (laughs) She's just going to keep going down the street and hoping that, hey, look, I'm still purple and on fire and flying. And isn't that a cool trick? Give me a regular balance check then. You can hear the crowd starting to cool down on you a little bit. They're like, hmm. 25. Yep. So you stay on, but people definitely don't seem as excited. There's a loud ripple through the crowd as the door to the dispensary opens up and a huge cloud of smoke comes out of it. Axel Axolotl has just the reddest possible eyes. You can see that they look like tomato sauce. And they go, yeah, man. I'm good at skating when I'm high. And wow, they are. They <laughs> right. They've, they've got the board in one hand and the end of a joint in another. And as they leap back onto it with the one hand still on the nose so they can maintain contact at all times, they start shooting down that road and catching up very quickly with you. And the crowd loves it. Assuming there's like a semi nearby, I'm going to go up the back of a semi. Ooh, okay. So you get a little bit of a good response from the crowd as you start riding up the semi. It still seems like they're wanting more, especially as Axel Axolotl starts to pull off another trick. Their tail's still wrapped around the end of the board. They do a slow handstand on the board and start handstanding their way down in between cars as they're going through this business district. Blow something up? That's always cool. Now that you know there's innocent people all around you? Yeah. (laughs) But Martina doesn't know. (laughs) I have a very bad idea. Oh, lay it on me. Those are my favorite type. (laughs) How close is Axel to me? Axel's a couple hundred feet away from you. About 300 feet. One would say even possibly the normal range of your bolts. I'm going to try to shoot his board. Just with a small bolt. Okay. 22. Still in the midst of the handstand that he was doing. Axel is currently mooning a bus full of children as he's squeezing between them. When the bolt hits the bottom of his board and sends him into a wild wobbling spin, causing him to slam between the bus and the prison bus that's next to that bus. So he just rapidly hits himself between the two of them and then gets underneath of the wheels of the bus for the children 
and thumps a couple of times before getting popped out of the back of it. And just as suddenly as it had began, the event ends and you're back on the circle in the middle of a crowded arena with roaring fans all around you. There is currently a team coming out towards where Axel Axolotl is located on their circle, just spread out in pancake form, and they literally start scraping them up off of the ground. I'm really glad he's cartoon person. <laughs> yeah. Am I up in the stand, up in the balcony? You are stand? still currently there. Even as you hear, winner, champion of Christmas, Martino Valentine, Nightfire. And the crowd goes berserk. I'm going to wave. They love it. I'm in it. hearing too, so I'm excited for you. <laughs> yeah. You see Dumpy Dog pull out a pack of cigarettes and start smoking. And he's like, you know, I knew this was going to happen. They're always busy showboating. I hope that you have the luck that you want in the Renegade match there, Dumpy Dog. Well, I appreciate it. You've been a class act the whole way, so I can't say no to that. And they reach out with their tiny little paw hand and they give you a little shake. Janice Hotchkiss is walking towards the exit. And as she passes you, she says, you know, you just got lucky, right? Yeah, she doesn't know how to skateboard. (laughs) And she walks off haughtily and leaves through the exit door. Santana's like, duh. The queen (laughs) waves one of her bloated forelimbs towards you. And it seems very much like she's giving you congratulations. Santana smiles and waves at her and says, Carplan, can you, in the human world, it'd be like, could you send her something to her room that she would enjoy eating? Is there something nice we could do for the queen, like as a friendly gesture? Their back stiffens up a little bit and Parplan says, I think I have an idea or two. I will try to implement them for you. Thank you, Parplan. Um, and yeah, she's going to wave to Oracle Cons from the Oktoberfest, and give a nod to everyone else in the room. And then she really wants to go see Martina to congratulate her. There are about 10 liter-sized glass steins of beer just surrounding Oracle Hans. And his mouth area on his head is covered in crumbs from all the sausage rolls he's eaten. And he just laughs and gives you a wave as he tilts over tipsily in his seat. Yeah, she's going to be like, maybe send him a good drink or something. Doesn't seem like he needs one, but you might appreciate it. Yeah, Parplod looks over for a second almost incredulously and is like, I do not believe that man needs more drink. I don't know that it'll hurt him, though. (laughs) That's his thing. (laughs) You have streamers and little bits of paper falling on you. Whenever somebody tries to throw something that would actually hurt you down on the circle, Martina, it not only gets eradicated by the little drones flying around, but also that person is like very roughly yanked out of the crowd. Oh, if Santana sees people throwing things to hurt her, she's trying to note down each one. (laughs) I will know your name and I will be able to find you once I know your name. So (laughs) obviously Martina changes back to just her human form. After a little bit of basking in the adulation of the people and other beings that are just surrounding this place, a little portal aperture opens up about the size of a Starbucks door with the same gray sort of interior. I wave one more time to the crowd and I go right through. They go nuts. Again, you can see some people are leaving and others are coming back with merchandise with your face on it. You don't know who authorized this. You certainly weren't consulted about it. The part of Martina who's been living out of hostels and everything else for the last several years makes a mental note to ask Porplan about a cut of the sales. (laughs) 
if this Santa thing doesn't work out. <laughs> Holiday Havoc, Here Comes Santa's Claus is a Real Play Games podcast production. Megaverse and Rifts are copyright and registered trademarks owned by Palladium Books. Rulix, Heroes Unlimited, Nightlands, Nightlords, Pajluznik, Rulian Translator, Splugorth, and Val Tagor are trademarks of Palladium Books Incorporated and Kevin Symbaida, used with permission. If you want to know more about the Heroes Unlimited 2nd Edition role-playing game or Palladium's host of other amazing role-playing games, you can find them all at www.palladiumbooks.com or wherever fine RPG products are sold. Our theme music is Silent Night, Unholy Night by the talented Alexander Nakarada and used under extended license, which includes sync licensing. If you want to find more of Alexander's tunes, head to www.serpentsoundstudios.com. If you'd like to get in contact with the pod, you can reach us at RealPlayPod on Twitter or email us at RealPlayGamesPodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash RealPlayGamesPod and get early access to new episodes as well as an expanding amount of exclusive content. Thanks for listening and happy holidays from all of us here at the podcast.